Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, your very name fills us with wonder. And Lord, we pray today that you would just pull back the curtain and help us see that you, because of you and your name, the heavens are roaring, that there's no equal, there's no rival, that as we hear from your word, that we will know that you are here because you are. And as we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, the very thing that makes this all possible, that you would be that involved in our lives. Lord, I pray that anybody that comes in here today with something that seems mighty and powerful will see how small and how in your control and how you will lift them and pick them up and heal them and help them because you've got no rival in that department. You've got no equal in that department. You've got no equal in the department of truth and the reality of what really is and what's truly true. So Lord, I pray that that would be deeply placed in our hearts today and it would come out in overflowing praise to you. Just like those roaring heavens. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen. You may be seated. And as we do, I'll say happy Mother's Day. And just to say this, uh, this is not the only thing I'm concerned about, but those of you who are blazer moms, we will get done on time today. Okay. I called the NBA, but they wouldn't change this game. But um, anyway, uh, I better kind of start with a review because this is the Dare You series, and every time I dared somebody something, uh, my mother, my own mother, uh, being this is Mother's Day, would dare me back quite severely. So uh, let me just say this. We started with calling for big trust, you know, that saying big trust in, in the boldness to live everything Jesus means for us to live. And then the next week, last week, we uh, talked about uh, how Jesus wants to put some new wine in new wineskins, not, not change the gospel, not change the truth, not change the theology or the, the doctrine or the teaching that he brought us, but to give us new ways of expressing it and understanding it and being open to the possibility and to challenge, as Jesus would say, I'm sure, that old adage of the church, we've never done it that way before. So that was what we kind of, I didn't dare us, Jesus dared us. And today we want to address uh, Jesus daring us to have an others first uh, mentality or an others first, uh, we've called it the we will go to them or I will go to them kind of attitude, whoever them is. And the thing is, is that that is so radical in 2019. I mean, it's just so countercultural. It's almost hard to overstate how countercultural it is. And, and part of the reason it's so hard to overstate how countercultural it is is because, and the reason we need to, is because uh, we live in a society where it has been affected by the gospel to the point that, that the church, the president of the church, the, not because we're great, because we're just human beings and we, we mess up just as much as you know, any human beings, but it's because God has placed his church here and put his message in the church about this you know, th others first after he came and thought of others first by coming and dying for us and, and shedding his blood and, and, and breaking his body and then beating back his worst enemy, the thing he hates the most, death, by raising from the dead. We are, the, the ethic and the morality that comes out of that is the core of our society. And it's still the core of our society, even though a lot of people are pushing back right now. Because I, 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 I was brought to this, to, to think about this a lot about a week and a half ago when I had dinner 
with some friends of ours uh, that uh, they both lost uh, their spouses a number of years ago, and now they've just recently remarried, or these, these two have, have recently married, and they're, so they're newlyweds. And uh, the, the man of the couple, they're from Wheaton, and he's a professor at Wheaton College, and he's written some books that I've read, and they might be about C.S. Lewis. And so he, we're having coffee or having dinner with them and with another couple, and he told, said something that's very interesting. He said, in the early 2000s, he taught in China. Because the universities there invited Christian professors over to teach in China. I don't know if you knew that. But um, while he was there, he ran into several intellectuals who told him something like this. And one, one particular person, well, I think it was a university president, told him that they had been given the task by the government of China to investigate America, the intellectuals had, to investigate uh, the United States to figure out why they were so prosperous, and why we, we have been, uh, things have been, you know, we always seem to beat them in this and beat them in that. that that's, at least that's what their attitude was. And so he said, we studied this for about 20 years. And, and, uh, but we, for the last 20 years, we've, and this, so this would be going back to the 80s, we've come to a conclusion. You see, at first we thought it was that you had better guns than we do. But that wasn't it. Then we thought that you had a better political system than we do. <laughs> and that wasn't it. And then we thought you had a better economic system than we did because we don't want to be communists. Uh, I mean, we want to be communists, but, you know, we're, we're willing to tweak that. But that wasn't it. And we finally discovered what it was. It was your religion. It was your Christianity. I mean, we don't want your Christianity, but we would sure like to have that moral structure in it. And then he followed it up by saying this. We have no doubt about this, that that's what makes you prosperous. It's your religion, Christianity. Isn't that interesting? Because I know there's a lot of pushback today in America on that and trying to pretend that the Judeo-Christian ethic and the, the morality that comes from that never happened. But the reality is, is that's the core of what happens in others first, giving, gracious, generous, loving, caring societies, that's the core. And if you doubt that, just go look at societies that either suppress the church or the church is non-existent in those societies. That's the reality. And again, it's not because the church, we, the people, are so great. It's because the message, because Jesus is so great. That's the reality. And, that, and that's the wonder of, of this idea of, of, of having a, we will go to them and others first. And, and you know, it may seem over the top to say all this, but it is hard to overstate. You know, in a culture of isolation, and Jesus made it an over the top thing. He made it an over the top subject. Because whenever a society turns inward, or any in its institution, when the church or anybody turns inward, things start to blow apart. And we live in a society now that elevates the self, the inward, to the point that it's isolated from everybody else. And then we wonder why everybody's so lonely. It's, it's, it's this isolation. We've talked about it before. The autonomous self. The autonomous self does not lead to freedom as promised. It leads to deconstruction and destruction and reduction and every other shun that's bad that you can think of. But the other first mentality that Jesus preached and Jesus taught well, that leads, I mean, leave aside church growth, leave aside all effectiveness of the church, leave aside all that for a second. Just that brings about a society that has humane freedom. And that's the, that's the wonder of the gift that we've been given that I, we need to talk about today. And, and to kind of take Jesus' dare to ask God to give us even more than we have, more uh, others first 
thinking, others first living, others first lifestyle, and trusting him with the stuff that, you know, we, we, when we're out there thinking of other people. I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to Matthew chapter 6, because very early on, Jesus starts teaching, coaching, discipling around this idea of, of thinking of others and thinking of others first and so forth, okay? And so I want to just tell you one uh, story in here and one, one um, miracle story, actually, that shows up. God must want us to know this. Jesus must want us to know this, because it's the only miracle that shows up in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what has just happened, let me sort of give you the background here. What has just happened is the, the disciples have been sent out on this sort of circuit mission thing where they go to different towns, two by twos, you know. You maybe have heard that story. They go out there, and they're seeing stuff like it's like, whoa, I didn't know I could do that. And obviously it wasn't them. It was the power of Jesus, the power of the Spirit in them that was doing it. I mean, they were casting out demons. They were pouring oil on people, and they were getting healed. It was crazy. I mean, Jesus was letting them in on the fun for a while. But there was also pushback. I mean, there's good evidence for this pushback. And Luke, when, when he sends them out, uh, he tells them, hey, if, you, if a town rejects you, just shake the dust off your feet and go to the next one. Just keep moving. Keep going. And, and, and so there was pushback. And we know that there was serious pushback for them at this time because in between that story of how they go out on the mission trip and then the story that we're going to look at today, John the Baptist, John the baptizer, he's beheaded. And what he's beheaded for is calling Herod and Herodias, his wife that he stole from his brother Philip, calling them on the invalid, uh, in, invalid nature of their, their marriage. He's calling out a moral problem, and that's why he's beheaded. So we know that these people, these disciples, and Jesus is here, they're just like us. Not everybody in their society is going, yay, we love Jesus followers, okay? There's, there's some pushback here. In the midst of that, Jesus tells them something about, through this miracle and through several miracles, but this one specifically, about what he wants their sort of attitude, their, their mentality, their mindset to be as they live their lives. So let's start at verse 30 in Mark chapter 6. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done. It's like, Jesus, look what we did, and, and all they had taught. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come to with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I bet they were glad to hear that. I mean, all their activities were effective, okay? So people came from miles around. And we know this because the two nearest uh, cities or towns in the northeast corner of, uh, uh, of the Sea of Galilee, which is where they were, were Capernaum and uh, Bethsaida. And those towns were about two to 3,000 people max together. And so there are more than that coming. We'll see that in a minute. So they must have come from miles around. So their ministry must have been very, uh, very su successful and, and very, uh, you know, a, a, a big deal. But just like any time you and I, you know, we're seeing some success and we've worked hard and yay, that's great, great. don't you kind of need some rest? I mean, you, 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 you put it all out there, and you just need to rest, and you get, ah, oh, you're just sitting down, and then what happens? The phone starts ringing. The doorbell gets a, or door, gets a knock. The emails start piling up. About 100 a day in my case. I mean, they're just piling up. And, 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 and you just go, oh, man, I could, could use some rest. And so Jesus notices this, and he takes them away. See, on the flip side of all the success and all the wonder of ministry, and this is why we're talking about this today, because we've had some really great things happening in ministry around here. 
Okay? The flip side is, is, if you've been a church person very long, you've probably seen this where you get these conflicted feelings. It's like, okay, okay, I love all these people coming in and so forth, but you know what? There are some moral standards. There are some ethical commitments, right? I mean, that's, that's a part of it. And so these guys are probably thinking, ah, Jesus, do we have to deal with these people again? You know, and, and some of them, you know, we've already dealt with, and they're back because there's free food or whatever, you know, they're kind of keep coming back. And, and, and surely the, the disciples, just like all of us in the church, there's, there's a mix of introverts and extroverts, and both of us are important, right? And so the 12, they probably, you know, that's what they call the original disciples, the 12. The 12 probably had a mix of that kind of people, and, and all of them, though, introvert or extrovert, we all need some rest sometime. So you know what, Jesus, instead of yelling at them, instead of doing a seminar on why you need to buck up, he takes them on the original life, re- life group retreat. Takes them out to another part in the Sea of Galilee to a solitary place. Look at this. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in the boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Here Okay, I'm a little crazy, but I imagine this, okay? The boats, in, in Galilee, you can see where the boats are going. So the boats, the boats are going, going toward this place, and the people on the shore are running toward the place, and the disciples, I imagine this, okay? It's not in the Bible. Imagine them standing up going, go back, go back, go back, right? And they just want to break. And when I get to eternity, they're gonna, somebody's going to say, why did you spend 10 seconds on that? So here we go. 34, when Jesus landed, though, and saw the large crowd, Peter stood up and said, oh, no, no, that's not, that's not in here either. What Jesus said, Jesus had compassion on them. And again, this is that word that means he had a visceral reaction. Oh, I really love these, I care for these people, all of these people. Bigger, than, bigger compassion than you and I can have. We, we have to rely on him for that. Compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. So Jesus' response is to begin teaching them. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. What does that mean? That means they had no leader and they, they um, had no one to care for them. What does that sound like? That's the vast majority of people who don't know Jesus in our world today. That's the nature of quote-unquote lostness, if you will. That's the nature of this sense of, and that's what Jesus feels for them. He's concerned for them. And this, this phrase, like sheep without a shepherd, it's an Old Testament phrase. It comes from Ezekiel. It's in Psalms. It means uh, this idea of leaderless, care, no one to care for them kind of thing. And, and God promises in the Old Testament that he's going to send a shepherd like David, like King David, who was a shepherd before he was king. He's going to send one of those for all people. And guess who it is? It's Jesus. That's why he has this reaction. But what we see here is is this sort of conflict that happens when the Holy Spirit starts to move and people start coming and there's just all these people. And every time, you know, it's like Sundays, we got so so much visitor flow, we got so many new people here. And if you're here, we're so glad you're here. I'm just pushing the, the point here. You know, I mean, there's, there's sort of this feeling like the new people come. And, you know, church changes every week because it's just new people every week, right? And there's feeling. I, I remember being in uh, my office one day and got a knock on the door. Uh, a gal came in who was a, 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 an older woman. All her kids were grown and so forth. And, but she uh, was a um, uh, single mom. She'd been divorced years before. And so she, but she, all her kids were grown and had their own families and whatnot. And 
Um, but she came in, and I'd heard that she wasn't going to be here much longer. She, she uh, was, uh, hadn't seen her for a while. She hadn't been to church for a while. So she came in, really nice lady, but she, she came in, sat down, and she goes, well, I've been, I know I need to, to get in here, but I, I just wanted to come in, and, and I just need to tell you something I didn't want to tell you, but I love you. They always say this, okay? They, I love you, and I really like uh, church, but I'm going to be going to another church. I said, oh, Really? Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. And she said, yeah, okay, that's why I came. And she started to get up and say, well, okay, could you tell me a little more about why you're doing that? Because, you know, I really care about you and care about what's going on with you. And she said, well, the reason I decided to do that is there's just too many new people here all the time. I said, what? Excuse me? Well, you know, they're just, this church is growing too fast. There's just too many new people. It used to be fun. I could see all my friends. But now it's almost like when I come on Sunday morning, I have to say hi to new people. I behaved myself. That was like sick him to a dog. But I behaved myself. <laughs> but the thing is, is see, that, 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 that's kind of where Jesus is going after. Say, guys, guys, you know, we got to teach these people. We got to care for these people. Look at these. Because you see, if you've been in a church, if you've been a Jesus follower for more than 10 years, that sort of thing kind of creeps in. You get used to the idea of being an insider. I mean, it's just natural. It's just normal. I mean, you know where to park. You know what seat is yours. You know what the rules are. If you want to follow those rules, sure, you can come in here, but just don't make me talk to you. I mean, that kind of stuff creeps in. And what that is, is in a little, you know, little p, Pharisee. A little bit Pharisaic, if you will. And Jesus is trying to teach these disciples and nurture them around and coach them in the, in the way to avoid that trap of being inward focused to the point that everything else gets shut off. You see, that's why we have this vision statement. This vision statement that looks like this, that we will take every opportunity to show gospel love to lost people, people like sheep without a shepherd, and be companions of Jesus in making deep, resilient disciples, because that's really what people need. That's what we need. We need the resilience of being a Jesus disciple. What does that mean? What does a resilience mean in this context? Well, it means that nothing's going to knock us down. Well, I mean, it might knock us down, but it's not going to keep us down. It's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, or 2 Corinthians 4. He says, you know, we might be knocked down, but we're getting up. We're not going to wallow in our disappointment. We're not going to wallow in that stuff because we're going to eject it because Jesus has given us hope. He's given us compassion. He's given us love. And so we're not going to just focus inward how disappointment we are. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to wallow in the compelling love of Jesus Christ. And we're going to get it all over us. We just wallow in that stuff so that when we go to our friends within the church that we, you know, we experience them. You see, it's not just an evangelistic thing. It is that, but I'll get to that in a minute. But it's, it's you know, I'll go to them across the room. I'll care for people in my own church family. And then also, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, I'll do something that isn't natural and normal for human beings. I'll also care for people out there, people who, who, who need this, who are lost like sheep without a shepherd. That's true resilience. And in order to do that, we're going to need bigger hearts. Because here's what happens. Things are going great. Things are going awesome, like they are right now for, for this church and many people's lives. But every time that happens, instead of stopping there, the Holy Spirit wants to go bigger and a step further and a step further. And there's no way to humanly do that without a bigger heart. So we need to trust him for that. You see, what has to happen is you got to have this heart of trust for him that if I have an other's first focus, if I go to them, if I have that kind of generous lifestyle, if I have that kind of mentality, I have to be assured and know 
that somebody's going to take care of the things that me, mine, I, my family, and whatever care about. I'm not saying we should neglect our families. That's not the point because that's always the, the false dichotomy we put in our minds. But I need to know Jesus is going to provide. If I give out of my cup, I need to know he's going to fill it back up again, right? And that's what Jesus is trying to say. You just trust me with that stuff, and you live a others first mentality. You live a we will go to them mentality, and this is all going to work out okay. We, we kind of know this is where this is going because of what happens next. This is the teaching moment of this miracle, and it's really quite enlightening. Look at this, verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away. I don't know if they said it that way, but it was a good reason to say it. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy uh, themselves something to eat. <laughs> but he answered, you give them something to eat. Silence. Anything else, Jesus? You give them something to eat. <laughs> you see, okay, I don't think this is the crazy part of my brain. I think Jesus is kind of sitting back. He's, he's, he's sort of playing with them in, in a compassionate way. Because you see, this others first, thinking of these other people at this moment was uh, as radical in that day as it is in our day. He says, you give them something to eat. In my imagination, he sits back on a boulder or something and smiles, just waiting for them to respond. You see, because what he's asking them to do is impossible for them. But he, what sometimes he asks us to do is impossible for us to do too by ourselves. You know, I've got um, good examples. We've got to go to examples all around us. So we've got some life groups in this church who are amazing. If, if you're anyone, you know what I'm talking about. There are people who will go to them across the room in their life group when they're needed. And those people will come to them, uh, you know, when, when they're needed. And they care for one another. But then they have the double uh, uh, ability, blessing of the Lord, the Compa enough compassion in the tank to go out to other people and share the gospel. I mean, there's this, this thing that happens that is not normal for a human being. It's the thing that changes a society into a good and hopeful society that we would all want to live in and we would want our children to grow up in. That's what Jesus is going for here. And, and the reason I say that, and the reason I can be pretty sure that this is kind of how Jesus is acting, is because that you and the you go to them, it's an emphatic you. It's a you go to them. And then kind of pulling back and waiting for a response. I mean, Jesus has just said something that's very NPC. And if I'm one of the disciples, <laughs> I'm going, wait a minute. We've, we've, I thought that was your job, Jesus. I mean, how are we going to do it? And, and this is one of those places in the New Testament where you don't have to wonder what people are thinking because they flat out tell you. Look at what they said next. They said to him, after a minute of silence, I'm quite sure. They said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. In the, in the original text, that says 200 denarii, but they put half year's wages because that's about eight, eight months of a laborer's wage. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them? You know, it's sort of like, Jesus, uh, <laughs> for a minute there, we thought you wanted to get the money from us. 
Wait, he's still smiling. He's not talking. Wait, 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 wait. You know, and, and that's, that's what, 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 why he's kind of putting him on this spot for a moment. But before we move on to his answer, let's just, let's just pause for a second and, and, and think about what he's really telling them and what he's really saying. You see, every generation in the church, of Christians, of whatever else, has to deal with this. Every generation has to deal with, are we going to be more concerned about others or for ourselves? And right now, we've got a generation all of us are involved in this generation. I'm not picking on one age generation. We've got a generation that is focused on ourselves on steroids, right? I mean, think of this. We've got more value signaling in America today than we ever have had in the history of our nation, in the, in the history of this culture. Value signaling being, this is important, this is important. You know, you got to think about this, you got to think about that. And Almost all those things are good. I mean, just take for a lot of it's around social justice and mercy. Social justice, mer- justice and mercy are part of the gospel. So yeah, it's important. But we've got more angst. We've got more outrage. We've got more words spilt and more yelling going on about justice and mercy and fairness and rules and rights than at any other time in our history. But do we actually have more justice and mercy happening? Is there actually more going on than before? I would argue, and I would say anecdotally and and even demographically, you can make a good case to say, no, we don't. We're we're doing maybe a bit worse. And yet we've got this in our value signal, value signal, value signal. Every generation has to face, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? You see, the result of trusting Jesus and having the heart of a people changed is so stunning and so spectacular that the the results drive out the fear that keeps us from going to others first, whether it's across the room or across the living room with my group or whether it be out to places in our jobs or at our schools. You see, there's this fear, like, God, are you going to come to the rescue when I need you? Are you going to fill up my cup because I'm giving out, I'm giving out? Are you going to fill it up? And Jesus said, of course I am. I'm going to do it way beyond what you can imagine. Wait till you get to the end of the story. But you just got to trust me that that's going to happen. You see, these guys, these original disciples, the same disciples, the, the 12, they got better and better at this, didn't they? They got better and better and better, and in the book of Acts, you see this thing take off. In fact, real quickly, let me just show you uh, how they say this. It says, uh, beginning at verse 41 of Acts chapter 2, this is right after Peter preaches that sermon. This is right at the spot that we ended last week. Verse 41, those who accepted the message were baptized, and about 3,000 were uh, added to their number that day. Man, that's phenomenal, eh? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to to breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with awe and at, the many, at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, not just in the church, but all the people, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
You see, there's a word in here that is all over the book of Acts that we're supposed to know and we're supposed to know the meaning of. We just don't pull it out that often. And it's a very simple word. We think we know what it means, but it's not entirely what we don't, we don't entirely know what it means, realize what it means. And it's a very significant word, and it's right there in verse 47. And the word is people. It's the people. It's the people of the Jesus movement. It's the people. It's not just a few. It's the people. It's the whole community. The Greek word is laos. It's the word we get laity from. And as I said, laity, laos, the people doing the work of Jesus is all through the New Testament. The compassion of Jesus oozing out of the the laity, oozing out of the people, uh, touching people's lives out of the people. And you know what else? You know what's not in the book of Acts? The word clergy. Or the word reverend. Or the word church staff. I mean, not to I hope that's an encouragement to you. I mean, it lifts it up all on the same plane. I mean, thankfully, pastor's in there, but I mean, you know, that it's all of us together. It's all the people. And it reaches all the people to switch sort of the directions of that word. You see, what you don't see in the book of Acts is balance. We're going to balance taking care of each other and taking care of our own needs and balance reaching out with the gospel to other people that don't have it yet. There's no balance. There's reaching out to the people within the body of Christ. There's, there's reaching out to people out there. There's reaching out to people that are coming in to the family of Jesus. All of that is happening at the same time. That's why this is a miracle, because it's beyond us. We can't pull it off. We need God to not only open up bigger hearts, but we need his power to be able to do it, you see. Luke looks back. Luke wrote the book Acts. He looks back on how the church got going, and he said, basically he's saying, look, it's 100% toward insiders. It's 100% toward outsiders, and it's 100% toward newbies. This thing is going in about four or five directions at the same time. No human being can handle that. It must be a miracle. It's a God thing. The Holy Spirit did it. That's what it is. And that's what we need to pray for when we pray for this, you know, uh, uh, pray that we will go to them and have an others first mentality. It's not just us ginning it up. It's God, we, boy, we need your help. That's what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in the miracle in Mark chapter 6. You see, when you, when you look at the church and, and, and the early church, it, what you begin to see is that this is not a balancing act. This is a reaching all the people. And, 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 it, and neither is it giving up the ethical standards or the morality of the gospel for the sake of making people feel good for a while because that while only lasts like a day. This is about changed lives. And you look at this, it's not about balancing at all. The best metaphor for what happened in the book of Acts and what happened with these disciples is not like a, 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 a scale that, that balances things out. No, a better metaphor is like a flywheel that's weighted on one side that keeps, the momentum keeps going and going and going. I mean, just look at that passage in Acts chapter 2 that we just read. Just take a look. All these things are going on in there. Look at this. The first thing that happens is their hearts are open. 
then people start getting saved every day, and then they're dedicated to the truth, the teaching of the apostles, and then they're dedicated into helping each other live that truth and caring for each other, and then they show mercy and justice in practical ways to the people around them, and then they worship together regularly, and people start, get, start noticing, and then they want in on that, because when you see that kind of stuff, you want in, and then all of a sudden, the next day, the whole cycle starts again and again and again. You know what's been happening for the last 2,000 years? That flywheel's still moving. That's exactly how that thing's happening. The momentum that started there is still happening. And that's why early in his ministry, Jesus was preparing the disciples. He was preparing us and is preparing us for that kind of, I want to bless you more, but I need to expand your hearts. I need to expand your mindset of what I can really do if you just trust me a little bit more. Look at verse 38 back in Matthew chapter 6. This is how Jesus winds up that miracle. Remember I said he always provides more than we think he will? Verse 38, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups in hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up in the heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he kept breaking and breaking and breaking. And then he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the people who also divided the fish. He also divided the fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls and pieces of bread and fish And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. There's two words in here again i got to call out in verse 39 and verse 40, where it says they caused them to sit down in groups. Those are party words in the the Greco-Roman world. Those are words that mean there's a party going on, there's festivities here. It was the kind of words they used when they were having a big party or a big banquet and stuff, and they'd invite everybody in. That's the kind of words that was used. It wasn't just there sitting down and having lunch. It was a party. It was a festivity. In other words, people were encouraged at a level and in, uh, and in a way, and there was so much energy that was way more than any of these people expected at the beginning of the day. It was way more than the disciples expected to say, you're asking us to buy that stuff? It was, just, it was way over the top. In fact, it was so over the top, Mark points this out. Remember, Peter's talking in Mark's ear as he's writing this. 5,000 men... Mark chooses a word. He doesn't use the normal word for human beings, anthropoi. He uses a word specifically that means just the men. In fact, Matthew clarifies this. You know, I mean, men probably ate a lot more, but that, there were, there were 5,000 of those guys. Matthew clarifies it in, in chapter 14 when he tells the story. He says, there were also women and children here, but there were 5,000 men. There were thousands of people there. And this is a way bigger miracle than we could have imagined. But think of what he did. He met a very specific need in the lives of those people who needed food. He met a very specific intimate need in the lives of his disciples that say, hey, you can trust me. You're wondering right now, we're just starting this whole thing out, but hey, you can trust me. I got this. I will provide. You just put yourself out there. I got your back. Isn't that interesting? Because it's big and small at the same time. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to coach us into, what Jesus wants to disciple us into. 
And like I said, these guys just get better and better and better, and we will get better and better too as we just trust him more, and he does the bigger heart thing. It's not up to us. It's up to him. Here's a really important reason why uh, others' first mentality is important for you and for me. Because you may be a them, quote, or a, be, may be a we at any given moment of your life. You may need somebody to come to you. Jesus talks about this. So go to them, and then one day they may come to you. That's how the body of Christ works. And that's the wonder of how the Holy Spirit works in you. So let me just say this up front to anybody who doesn't have a life group to experience yet. I so want that for you. I dare you to start praying about it. Find, God, help me find a way to fit a group into my life. Help me to find that group that you want me to be in. Help me to, and maybe it doesn't happen till fall. I don't know, because a lot of groups you know, do different things in the summertime. It's a good time to kind of check in a group, because a lot of them are doing barbecues and stuff, and the food's really good. But you know, you start praying, God, make it po- show me how this is possible. Open the door. Make this possible for me. Because I, you know, I, no, not me. Jesus wants every person in his church to experience that. And what he wants us to avoid as a church and as a people is the inevitable drift that comes because we're human beings. The natural drift over time is to turn inward, whether you're a culture, whether you're a church, whether you're a society, whether you're a group, whether you're whatever you are, is to turn inward. Over time, the natural inertia of humanity is to turn inward and to be an insider, you know? To come in as one lady, not this church, but a long time ago, came in, dear lady, came in to a couple that were sitting toward the back because they dropped their kids off at Sunday school because their kids were asking them about God. They didn't know what to do, so they came to church. They looked in the door, saw that we weren't sacrificing animals or anything, and they sat in the back, and a dear, dear saint in our church walked up to them and said, you're in my seat. That's not another first mentality, just in case you're wondering. So, but the inertia over time is to drift inward. And we've got to avoid that natural drift inward instead of others first. And that's what Jesus is trying to help us do. And you know, I, I, again, I can't overstate how important this is. It's why I asked you to pray and start praying for boldness. And you're, we're going to come back to that theme next Sunday. And you're going to get a prize, a gift for coming to church, if you need it. And for what? We don't come to church, we are the church. Can I say that? Uh, but I want, want you to, to know that that's kind of where we're going because if we're not here, I mean, pull back now. Let's think back to where we started. If the church isn't here with this message of others first, of compassion for others, whether it be compassion in the church community or compassion in the community out there, that's why the words are interchangeable. We can't, pull, we can't even hold that all in our mind. We need the Holy Spirit to give us that help. That, Jesus knows that. That's why he's teaching us this way. That's what, what's going on. But if we're not here, just look at the countries where we're not here, where we're not there, or where we're suppressed. Are those societies you want to live in? Because we're, we're the ones that are gifted with the message of this morality, the morality that says, you know what? Sexuality was created by God. And he created it not so that you could share it when you have consent, because consent means nothing, really, because you've got a soul. And when you have sexual, uh, sexual intimacy, you leave part of your soul with that person. That's why 
being married is so important on that. And, 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 and you know, when it's between a man and a woman who are married. If, that, if the church goes away, where does that message go? Because the reason for that is like all the other morality issues, it's not because we're so smart and we're so smarmy. It's not because we're so great. Uh, it's not because, um, uh, and yeah, it's because of the message, the core message of the scripture of Jesus is you are valued as a human being, not because you're prettier, not because of, you know, who you can talk into sexual intimacy, not because you got more money, not because you're smarter. You're valued as a human being because you are created by God and you are made in the image of God. That's a core message to any society that hopes to last. And if that goes away, if, 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 if the keepers of that message, the sharers of that message go away, wow, what would that be like? Or you can take it even a step further as we have, reaching back to the Love Thy Body series. I mean, you, this message is the only message that really says to women, you know, you're more valuable than that. You, abortion's not the answer for you. It's a crisis, no, no doubt. It's hard being in that situation, but it's not the answer. Pro-life, pro-choice, it's not the answer for you. And when these things start to happen and people start to going in ways that are so destructive to their soul, because there's a soul involved in all that, somebody's got to stand up. And if the church isn't here, who's going to stand up? Somebody's got to stand up and say, wait, 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 wait. There's a better way. There's a superior way to live. That not because we're superior. We're not. We're still trying to kind of learn it ourselves. But Jesus has given us a superior way because he is the way the truth, and the life. And so, yeah, countries of China, like China look at this and go, it's your morality that makes that significant, that culture significant. That's why you've had such good success with all that you've had. That's the deal. And, and yes, I know they're doing it because of economic reasons. They'd love to have, you know, the economic uh, economy and all that kind of stuff. I get, I get that. But Jesus gets that too, and he says, go preach anyway. Go share, as long as the door's open, you go in there and you share the gospel. Gospel love with people who are lost, like people who are like sheep without a shepherd. So I'm going to call a band out here. And uh, then we are going to celebrate what we know for sure. We know that Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. He did the ultimate, I will go to them, didn't he? He sacrificed everything to come to die for our sin so that we could be forgiven. And then he beat back the thing he hates the most, death. And he rose from the dead. And when we do the Lord's Supper, when we do communion together, we are remembering that. So this week, or this time, I encourage you to just ask God to give you the kind of gratitude. I mean, you've probably done communion. If you're a Christian, you've done communion so many times. Ask him to give you the sense of gratitude that just goes deep down in your heart and then explodes like a flower blooming and, and gives you this kind of sense of, wow, I, with your strength, I will go to them. With your, with your help, Holy Spirit, I'll be a part of my church that will help my church to be a church that does go to them. And this summer, we're going to pray that again and again and again. I'll show you about that next week, but let's pray. And thank God for what he's done. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the reality and the hope that is in this meal that we're about to take. Would you just open up our categories, open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us to live free, free from fear that there might not be enough. 
because you're the one who owns it all. You're the one that supplies it all. You're the one that gives it all, just like you did on the cross when you gave your entire life for us. Would you give us that sense of gratitude that changes everything? Thank you for letting us participate with you in this. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you're a person here, this is for believers to do communion. And if you're not sure what that means or whether it's for you, if there's any church that you've ever been to that doesn't look weird at you for standing in your seat, this is one of them. So just uh, encourage you to, you know, just pray and talk about that. But for those who, who do are going to take communion, they're in the four stations here. Gluten free is over there. And may God give you a blessed, heart full of compassion week.